Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame podcast series featuring the best of the best video games of all time. Yes, that's right. We'll be going through the history of video games and discussing the elite games from all generations. Tune in each week as we discuss, break down, and cheer on our inductees. Again, my name is Matt Levy and we are joined again by Mike Staub. How are we doing, Mike? I am doing all right. It's now November, so the 2020 is rapidly uh, flowing away from us. I, I have to get in a few more games so that I can consider myself a legitimate gamer. I have to play a couple more of these AAA releases that release by the end of the year, and I'm starting to get nervous that I'm not going to be able to fit them in, especially yeah. with Cyberpunk coming out very soon. Yes, with, with November amongst us, we're now looking at all these G-O-T-Y symbols on all these forums and online boards. And you start to get the pressure of, have I played all the Game of the Year candidates? Have I gotten all those big games that are coming in in the fall? And you start saying, I don't have enough hours. I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the hours. The good thing is, is I'm pretty much caught up with everything so far. Because, you know, when there's a global pandemic and you can't leave your house for six or seven months, <laughs> you kind of catch up on things. But... I have a few left and I, they haven't really come out yet. So the two that are on my list, and we can talk more about this at the end of the show, mm-hmm. but the two that are currently on my list and waiting are Yakuza 7, which comes out tomorrow, Ooh, okay. which I think might be a sleeper, maybe not hit. I don't think it's going to be a, a super successful in terms of a financial hit, but I think it's going to be a, a, a cult favorite, mm. a turn-based role-playing game based in that universe. I don't know. I feel like it's silly enough to work. And obviously Cyberpunk 2077, that's the big one. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, if I get to it, I get to it. It's gonna, that's how I feel about those games. Every single year they come out, I'm like, you know what? If I can jump on it, I'll jump on it. I liked Odyssey. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about this, but um, I've tried pretty much and played pretty much every AAA game. I think the that's only on the one count, the that countdown. you missed that's recently being dropped is Spider-Man Miles Morales, which yes. I think will probably avoid most people's game of the years because it's considered kind of a 1.5. It's not necessarily considered a full-on title sequel. You know, the Miles game comes out at a very weird juncture because... I don't necessarily want to play it on the PS4. I want to play it on the PS5. And I don't have a PS5 pre-ordered yet. I didn't pre-order a PS5, rather. So I don't know if I'm going to get one before year's up. Now, if I get one before the year's up, all right, I'll pick it up. I'll get, I'll definitely, that'll be the game that I get. Miles Morales and Spider-Man Miles Morales, who, that game just looks so good. I I love the character. I'm a Spider-Man junkie. I've been a Spider-Man junkie since I was like three years old. And, uh, what they've done with Miles as as a as a, a as a great character, he's a long-standing character now in the Spider-Man universe. That movie, Enter the Spider-Verse, was so good. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to see how would they handle him in the game. It seemed they he did they were great with him in the first Spider-Man game, and I love that we're kind of gonna get Spider-Man games that follow both of the Spider-Men. And I hope that opens up to more of the Spider folks. Uh, I would love to see Spider-Gwen in a game. Oh, I would love to see Spider-Gwen. I love Spider-Gwen. I'm with you. I am all about having the best experience playing the game. So if Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to buy it on a newer console, the same thing happened with Twilight Princess, Breath of the Wild. I had to play these games where I'm going to get the best visuals, best audio, best loading times, Mm -hmm. best experience overall. And I'll and wait also, if I have to. And also, like to be to be honest, at this point, I have a 4K TV that runs at 60. I don't want to play it in 1080 at 30. 30. Like yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm I'm kind of done. Yeah. And what I just read today, Insomniac put a tweet out, which is great. And Insomniac is probably my favorite Western gaming developers. Mm-hmm. Insomniac, I love this company. Everything they do for me is like gold. And they put out a tweet today saying that your Spider-Man PS4 save should be, be able to carry over. There was a lot of uh, confusion about that, saying that it wouldn't be able to be carried over to PS5. But I read a tweet today from Insomniac themselves that saying that your PS4 Spider-Man save will carry over to the whatever, they calling, whatever they're calling like the special edition of the original Spider-Man game for uh, PS4 now on PS5. So someone like me who sunk you know, probably 40 or 50 hours into that Spider-Man sure. game 
now I can get back in, you know, play that, get some new costumes, and then play the Miles stuff, which is just, it's a home run. It's a- yeah, I could definitely appreciate when companies go above and beyond and giving the users the, the opportunity and the choice to carry your save files over because they don't have much to gain from that. I don't think it increases their sales no. all that much, but from a no. user perspective, that gives the fan base something to, to, to cheer about and say, thanks, that's, that, that's convenient. I was going to replay them I was going to replay the game and I was like, you know what? I'll just replay it. I want the cool costumes. But now that they're, now that they're giving, they're throwing the fans a giant bone here. I'm very excited to jump into it and test it out a little bit, probably play a little bit, do some of the DLC I didn't get to do. But if that gets me those sweet costumes in the, the Miles Morales version, especially the enter the spider verse costume oh, that yeah. has a different oh, yeah. frame, frame rate than the rest of the game is just <laughs> like, what? So. I've even read that some of the shoes are actually going for sale. People are taking the Miles Morales okay. shoes and they're going to be sold the next few months. So I, th- I, I wouldn't be surprised if he blows up everywhere because of this game. I think Nike missed out. <laughs> I think they did. They, they dropped the ball. They could have been in the game and they said no. So Adidas is going to, they're going to pick up all those pieces and they're going to make a ton of money. I'm going to buy a pair of Spider-Man Adidas shoes. Are you kidding? <laughs> they look awesome. Bright love red. Them. What's not to love? Of course. So, Mike, I think that our, our gaming love has already been spewing these first few minutes here. Yes. So let's, let's jump into the first topic today, our first sure. game that we're going to induct into our Hall of Fame. And this one goes back to 1997 by the long, long-developing game maker Konami. And this is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Now, Symphony of the Night, for a lot of people that don't know, I would say is considered the breakout it kind of left behind some of what the earlier games did and there's got to be i don't know the total off the top of my head 15 or so different castlevania games between handhelds the old nes games snes games and so forth but this one i think amongst most fans is the beloved favorite i think this one popped out with everything it was doing at that time and just made it a really great reason to own a PlayStation. And after we didn't get a true Dracula X game in the United States, this was kind of the first Castlevania to come along in a long time that people really cared about. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what year the Dracula X on Super Nintendo came out. I forget off the top of my head. But that game wasn't Rondo of Blood that they got in Japan. And this one, this was a, a true sequel to that game. And you know, I remember seeing this and all the artwork, the amazing artwork. Um, but I think the artist's name is Ayami Kojima. The artwork from Ayami Kojima in magazines for months. And this game, if you actually go and read up on it, it wasn't supposed to be the future of Castlevania. Right. It was supposed to be something they put in this whole Dracula X series that was something that was like cut off from the rest of the Castlevania series. Because it wasn't going 3D like the awful Castlevania 64 did. So bad. And it's so bad. And I played it recently because I was like, ah, it's Halloween season. Let me try Castlevania 64. Is it really that bad? No, it's worse. It is that bad. See, what I think this series did, and you're right, is everyone at this point had decided, hey, we can make 3D games. You know, N64 is out, the PS1 is out, and we now have these graphic processors that can create these polygons. And instead of jumping into these early 3D renderings that just to this day have not aged very well they took 2d to the next level they did the 2d art and the sprites and the the backgrounds and everything drawn in this almost looks 3d and it's beyond anything you could do on the super nintendo i mean even the best super nintendo art and i love all the 2d platformers that age this does things that could not have been done back then no the best you would get at that point in time, the closest to this is something like Yoshi's Island that throws at those kind of super FX chip stuff in there where you have some like nice background things that move or create some, some degree of depth. But in this instance, with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, you're getting stuff that, you know, you have those, the books that fly at you that you mm-hmm. actually fight. Um, you have some other really amazing stuff. You have uh, CD audio, CD quality audio, which is really big. I think back to when you're walking up these 3D stair, you know, these spiral yeah. staircases and they look 3D. Yeah. They're yeah. really, really beautiful backdrops and they're in every room, every hallway of every castle, yeah. everywhere you go, it's just breathing with life. These open windows behind you. It's really something to look at. And, you know, when you, 
play the game, the music is CD quality. So you, you can work with real CD quality audio. You can actually used to, used to be able to pop the CD into a CD player and actually play the soundtrack. Oh, that's very cool. Which is really cool. At this point in time, we hadn't seen a Castlevania game in the States really for at least three or four years. And the, one that, the ones that we did weren't, you know, weren't necessarily what people were looking for. Obviously, after Super Castlevania 4, you know, it was hit or miss. And some of the games were hard to find, especially a game like Bloodlines. But when you get this game that releases, all the Castlevania nuts come out to play it. And at this point in time, it had also been about, what, uh, three or four, uh, at least three, three or four years since we had played Super Metroid. So when you, when you take a look at this game, and it was the first game that we, we would consider a Metroid-like or a Metroidvania, mm-hmm. when looking back to it, it's almost, you know, retroactively, this is the yeah, second you, Metroid you, you said game. the dirty word there, Metroidvania. And that- People don't like it or they, they love it. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? The word does what it's supposed to do. And it describes a genre now of gaming that you can go on the, the Switch or the Xbox or any game, to, any game console today, and you can find a dozen games that immediately fit that genre, that explanation, because this was the first Castlevania game that is not linear. It's no. not a game where you, you go up a staircase, you go to the right, you get to the level, and you go to the next level. Yeah, no, this not like that at all. Is a sp- spiraling, sprawling map, and you are going back and forth and up and down, and when you open up your map, you look at it, and you go, wow, I explored this whole area, and there are areas you can't get to, which might sound like Metroid or Zelda or one of these other games that you think about that you can explore an era thoroughly, and oh, I can't go in this right now, and you know in the back of your head, I'm coming back here later. <laughs> you know that. You see the map. You see that you can go back there later. You need a certain item to get through that passageway. It's very much down to the save rooms, right? It's very much inspired by Super Metroid, which, you know, it's, it's hard to argue that Super Metroid is, you know, Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night because they do some things a little differently. I mean, these are two of the most influential games ever made. And at the time, I think we just thought they were very, very good. They didn't become really influential until much later until the indie indie market started to pop up and now i feel like one out of every i would say 10 or maybe 12 indie games has some sort of metroidvania aspects to it both of those games you named super metroid and symphony of the night were not immediate mega hits that changed the whole world it really took years and it took people to discover them and it took some time to people to realize that these were the first to do these sort of things and to not just do them, but to excel at them and do them yes. really well. And, you know, Igarashi, who, you know, these are called, this is the first of what they call the Igavania games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Igarashi, who, Koji Igarashi, who worked on this game, who has become a, a bit of a celebrity within the gaming world himself. You know, he walks around with a cowboy hat and a bullwhip. <laughs> um, this was his first real foray into Castlevania games and pretty much every Castlevania game that he made is in this style. Mm. So he was making essentially the only Metroidvania games at the time, or you could call them, I don't know, uh, non-linear expansive (laughs) action platformers with upgrades and special items. Like that's why people say Metroidvania folks. Because it just jumps all that up easily. It's easy. You know exactly what people are It's nice. And now you know exactly what it means. But yeah, th- these were non-linear games. There was action, there's platforming, there's adventuring, there's role-playing. Yes, that means Metroidvania. Just yeah, say the word. Just say, it, just say it, dude. It's fine. You, no one's going to no judge you for saying Metroidvania. But, but to my knowledge and from what I saw, this was the 10th entry in the Castlevania series. And to, to the fact that they got 10 games in to really discover and find this separation this different style that really allowed it to stretch its legs out spread its arms and say you know what i can be more than just throw my whip out go up a staircase up i can't make that platforming jump because i didn't time it perfectly this game lets you explore a different character the jumping mechanics are a lot more fluid this game is fluid it's smooth the movement is smooth the action is smooth you would never call the previous castlevania games smooth no okay simon simon belmont trevor belmont they move like they're weighed down by bricks. They're you know, clunky, it's, yeah. It's very clunky. I mean, forget it. Don't get me into, don't let me start talking about how annoying the Medusa heads are in the <laughs> second stage of the first Castlevania game. You know, it's just one of those things where they were super challenging and they were still working with physics and whatnot. 
Symphony of the Night really nails it. It nails that there's a momentum mm-hmm. and that there's a kind of loop that Alucard can kind of move through. And what's great about it is you play as this new character who's not a Belmont, but he's Alucard, the son of Dracula. Son of Dracula. Uh, yeah, his, it's Dracula backwards. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of silly. But yeah, when you're looking at it, it's, it's kind of cool. And he's got that, he's the perfect- Kind of like the repre- Tom Riddle, Voldemort. Yeah, thing, yeah. it's kind of like Tom Riddle, Voldemort, right? And, and he checks that box at this time that every cool. game- He's, Every, cool. He's, 90s. Cool. He's, he's cool. He's nineties. Cool. He's the silver haired. Cool. Yeah. Dude. Well, this is when they changed vampires. I think at yeah. this time where vampires started to get a little more, the anime style where the long hair and there's kind of something sexy and something emo yeah, about yeah. it all. It's, and it's like this cool rock and roll vibe. He's got this silver <laughs> hair, that, you know, would follow in other games like final fantasy seven. You know, it's like every game at that point had to have, had to have like the, the cool, but deadly, edgelord style you know but the previous Castle- castlevania games were really more of like a medieval knights kind of st- you know they much of this they go they go all sorts of periods right so castlevania 3 i forget what year that takes place in mm-hmm. but like simon belmont is clearly like almost like a medieval almost like gladiator type yeah yeah and then uh, trevor before him in uh, the cartoon changes everything because in the in the cartoon Trevor Belmont is like your your typical vampire hunter monster hunter type character. He is not wearing like a tunic, you know. Uh, but but you get that you get Richter, who's it's a little later, but he still kind of has that same kind of you know heroic vampire hunter thing. Like Richter Belmont is essentially you know Ryu with a whip, Street <laughs> Fighter. Like like you know you know he's even he's got the the white headband and and mm-hmm. you know the uh, the messy brown hair. But then you get to you get to Alucard. And he's got such a great voice. He's got that kind of deep, imposing voice. He's got the. He looks like a vampire. He has all the vampire abilities that you have to gain back over time. And it broke away a little bit from the goofiness of Castlevania. I mean, think of the original Castlevania. It's pretty much like, all right, cool. You're this vampire hunter, and you're fighting the Universal monsters. Really, that's really what it is. You're gonna fight Frankenstein, the Mummy. Mm-hmm. You're fighting the you know the creatures from the Black Lagoon, Dracula. All this stuff in Medusa, which isn't part of that, but whatever. And I think those games for its time were, were something cool. They were fun. Oh, it's magical. They were, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it was magical. You know, you're running around as this guy, right? You said facing these magical beasts and it's cool. It's but fun. those games today have aged very poorly. And even for their time, they were not great platformers. I think people liked the, the, the genre and the story and the characters. And I think that got them into the Castlevania games. And people love the original couple NES and even Super Nintendo games. Yeah, but definitely. But this game has aged gracefully it's very very playable today and i think like you said it's it's beyond just the smoothness of the characters and the look igarashi wanted to give more depth to the game he didn't want this game to just be a a slash through this level slash through this level slash through this level you actually level up in this game yeah so you're not just yeah leveling up you gain more hp more attributes you can change your different you know strength defense intelligence luck there are different abilities throughout the game and i think that gives depth to a game that gives you coming back for more you know it also allows you because there are so many different items and weapons and things that you can equip to alucard it allows you to kind of change your play style every single time it's like you know what this time i'm going to use the big two-handed swords or this time i'm just going to use one one-handed swords and be really quick or maybe i'll use a whip or maybe i'll use a knife or maybe i'll punch people so it allows you to kind of change the way you're going to go about things. And it's also got great secrets. It's got some really oh, yeah. nice little secrets in it too. The fact that you can play through the whole game thinking you beat it and then you get a bad ending. And then you have to try to figure out how to get a good ending and then to get and that back good Back in ending. the day, this was the type of game that you would tell your friends and say, oh, you know what I saw? And I found this and I found that. Did you get this? Because it's kind of like that Breath of the Wild type experience yeah. you have today where it's like, it's not the streamlined linear game. It's not, the internet wasn't telling you all the secrets like it is today. So there was something magical about finding these secrets and exploring. Gaming pre-YouTube was very interesting and sometimes very, very frustrating if you didn't have a subscription to a tip magazine. What do you mean? They didn't have Let's Plays back then? No, no. Let's Play was going over to your friend's house and being bored for two or three hours while they played through the next level of uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. What my favorite thing about this game was the first time I played it, I obviously got the bad ending because I didn't know. Of course. um, That, you know, you had to get a special item so that you didn't kill Richter and you save Richter from being possessed and then 
you the game essentially doubles. Which is so cool when it happens. When you see him possessed and you see Belmont, yeah. it's really cool. It's so cool. And it's oh, like, yeah, the oh, game well, doubles, yes. The game doubles in length. Yep. It's like, okay, cool. So remember that whole castle you did? Well, we're going to flip Side. it upside down. <laughs> and then you got to go through it again. And good luck. Have fun. And then you get to fight all the universal monsters like Frankenstein and death and all that stuff. So that's cool when you get to that point. It's awesome. Yeah, it's all great. And whether you say it's inspired by Metroid or Legend of Zelda or you know, name their great exploration game that, it, that it's inspired by. But it did its own thing. It took the Castlevania story, style, characters. Yeah. Uh, you could upgrade your weapons and upgrade your, your, your armor and different things. But those are things you can't really do in, in Metroid or Zelda well, here and there. But not really. This game lets you kind of customize it the way you want. It makes a user experience. That's the reason why I'm okay with them being called Metroidvanias and not just Metroid-likes because Castlevania Symphony of the Night does do a bit different. It does. It does break itself apart. I do think it's still heavily inspired by Super Metroid. Sure. And, you know, when Konami says that, oh, well, it was more inspired by Zelda, I go, come on, dude. Like, really? Like, yes, every, ga- every action-adventure game is inspired by Zelda because Zelda's, you know, the best series, right, for that. But... When you go and you play it, you're like, come on, man. You put save rooms in this game. <laughs> Look at the map. Like, just be honest with yourself. It's totally based off Super Metroid, and that's good because... Yeah, I think there's something wrong with taking good elements of a good game and saying, you know what? Let's use that. It works, and let's do our own thing with it. Yeah, let's just, you know, replace the aliens with vampires and werewolves, and we got ourselves Castlevania. But it does do a lot more. It does do things differently than Metro, uh, Super Metroid does, and... I don't know if I could pick which one's better, personally. I don't really know. I think both Castlevania and Metroid probably even had better installments after this, even in the 2D space. But these games, Super Metroid and uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, stand out as the most important of them. Yeah, I would say when you look at 2D platformers of our time, and especially at this time exactly, you have to say they're two of the best um, as far as what they do and what they're trying to do. Yeah. And very few games have done better since then. Very and few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, me, the Nintendo fanboy in me, I would easily be able to choose between the two, my favorite. But that's taking nothing away from Symphony of the Night. I, I've played, you know what I will say? And I've played both Symphony of the Night and Super Metroid again recently uh, within the past year. Symphony of the Night has more, because it's on a PlayStation, it's access to more buttons yes. helps you out immensely. Mm-hmm. Playing Super Metroid nowadays, and this isn't a slight at Super Metroid, they, they made the game with what they have. It's frustrating now. The controls yeah. get a little frustrating. Yes, because when you're going to yeah. a room or an enemy and you have to switch between your missiles and switch between this and that, it can be cumbersome. And you say, how has this game not been you know, modernized? But again, sometimes you don't want to touch a... No something that's great sometimes you just want to leave it alone but it does have its age because now people have figured out ways to make games better well metroid shows you how to improve on that formula when you get to like zero mission Mm -hmm. and they show you how they remade the original metroid in a very very much a very super metroid style and it does some things a little better in terms of controls now i i will say that super metroid is probably the better game in my opinion but there are some quality of life improvements that you get. And Castlevania kind of gives that to you too. There were some so. things I'd definitely say Castlevania does better. But they're different enough games where you can yep. both say, listen, we now have Metroidvania because of this. If you came to me and said my favorite game of all time is Castlevania the Symphony of the Night, and then the next person came to me and said my favorite game of all time is Super Metroid, I could agree with both of you. I, could, I would not throw shade at either person. Those are respectable answers. Mm-hmm. We're not running up and saying your favorite game is Parappa the Rappa, so I think everything's okay. <laughs> Parappa's Parappa's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Parappa the Rapper. <laughs> so we've hit on the the visuals. We've hit on the gameplay. I think the music we've stated. It, the music is really it okay. sets the mood for the game. As you said, you can put the disc in, which I didn't even know. That's really neat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can play a couple of tracks. And uh, Michiru Yamane, the music is so good in this game. And I believe, I believe. Yamane's the composer in Bloodstained as well. Yeah, uh, he's, the night. he liked to keep a lot of the same people working with him in mm-hmm. future games. And yeah, Bloodstained yeah. was his, you know, Kickstarter that kind of is a Castlevania family type game. It's the kind same of, game, guys. Yeah, different it's title, but it's, it's there. Uh, Symphony of the Night versus Ritual of the Night. It's very similar, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it for that reason. 
But these games, you know, the sprites, the animation, the scrolling backgrounds, the PlayStation hardware was fully taken advantage of. People say it was wasted. I say it was fully optimized for the PS1. Even crazier, as we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes, the Saturn version of this game is terrible. And the Saturn version of this game should be better because the Saturn was geared more more towards 2D stuff, but the port is just very bad. Well, as, as you said, this game, it was on PS1 originally. It came mm-hmm. to the Sega Saturn afterward, years after. Yeah. And then I believe it's now been released on the Xbox in a, in a Konami Classic series. So it's been here and there over the years. The, it was on the Xbox 360 on Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah. And that's your best way to play it now because Xbox is so good with backwards compatibility. It's probably the only way to really play it right now unless you want to buy the uh, mediocre... Castlevania Anniversary Collection on the PS4, on the PS4, the Rondo of Blood, the I'm sorry, the Dracula X one. What's interesting about the live arcade version of the game is back then they limited you to only a certain amount of megabytes when you released a Xbox Live arcade game because they wanted to make it downloadable and small enough that anyone on you know speeds at that time could easily download it, enjoy, and it wouldn't take up too much hard drive space. They made the exception for Castlevania Symphony of the Night to double the storage space to make that game. You know, not to try and skimp any here and there to make it really the full experience. You know what, though? This game is guaranteed sales. So I would definitely go above and beyond to get this game on there and make Konami happy. It's not a bad version of the game. It runs pretty well. Um, It's probably better than the PS4 version. And the fact that Xbox has been so dedicated to backwards compatibility, you can play this on your Series X if you get one this year. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's really I, cool to have one of the best games ever made available for a relatively reasonable price. Yeah, we're talking about a game now that's 23 years old. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you pop it in today, or you well, pop it in, that's a cartridge uh, expression. But if you were to download <laughs> this game today and play it, I would say this is no different than playing a Hollow Knight or any other you know, Castlevania type game today. This game has aged well. You would not say much of this game has aged poorly. It'd be, no. You'd really be nitpicking. And you know, if you're a fan who hasn't played this and you're a fan of Hollow Knight or Ori in the Blind Forest or mm-hmm. what are some of the other ones that I should name right now? Yeah, right. Even, we gotta- even stuff like SteamWorld Dig sure, or, yeah. or Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge of- is a wonderful Metroid imitation. Really good, really good. If you're a fan of those style of games and haven't played Symphony of the Night and you have an Xbox get it get it's it. worth it it's worth the 10 or 15 bucks it's worth it. not a big financial investment and symphony of the night is in our hall of fame and i as you said if someone said this is their favorite game of all time i, I could not argue with them i, I cannot can't, make a good <laughs> argument <laughs> i can't argue against that it's a really great game it holds up wonderfully well it's a wonderful side it's it's a wonderful companion piece to super metroid if you want to play super metroid as well i highly suggest that people play both of these games yes together i I would actually suggest that just to see how different they are and to make your own opinion on which is better but no symphony of the night is just look at the artwork it's it's so good it's just yeah this is this is top notch playstation playstation one at the top of its game and it's a 2D game, which is, have, which is lovely. I have a feeling, Mike, that in weeks to come, we'll be talking about its brother, Super Metroid. I, I just got this, I have this inkling feeling that it so. be a Hall of Fame inductee. But for now, I think that puts our Symphony of the Night from 1997, Konami Classic, into the Hall of Fame. And I think we'd like to talk about this next game. Yeah, yeah I'd love to talk about this next game. I have a lot of opinions. And this next game... And we've talked about a few games thus far as our third episode of the podcast. And this one to me feels like one of those earth shattering games that when it came out, it really changed the whole landscape of gaming. And it took everything you knew at that point and just brought it up a level and everything you didn't think was possible in a game. And that game is Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time from 1998 on the Nintendo 64. Yeah, I feel like when we talk about video games, this is one of those periods where it is you had before Ocarina of Time and we had after Ocarina of Time. Now, Super Mario 64 did wonderful things for the 3D space, especially with a 3D platformer. But Ocarina of Time was one of the first games to really nail 
3D action. There's another game that came out before it that I, I think actually does a good job, and it's not on the N64, it's on the PlayStation, but we can always talk about that in a little <laughs> bit, because I believe we're going to talk about a certain aspect of this game that this other game did first. But Ocarina of Time was a monumental point. I remember to this day having to go to Electronic Boutique at the Broadway Mall in Hicksville, my home mall, like for like three or four days in a row to pick it up because they just didn't have it in yet. And I had a pre-order and I had the gold cartridge. Ooh, the golden and cartridge. It, and it's like, there was something so special about this moment. As someone at that age, I was 12 years old, 1998, if you look at the year of 1998 in video game releases, 1998 is one of the best, if not the single best year of video game releases of all time. Mm -hmm. Just look at it. And it's not just because of Ocarina of Time. It is insane what came out that year. Like, oh my gosh, if you look at 1998 in video gaming, go to Wikipedia and look at the list. You're like, oh man, like all time great, all time great, all time great. It's like a murderer's row of video games. Just a bunch of home runs that year. Just everything. And Ocarina of Time was kind of the icing and cherry on top of the cake. It was, we waited so long for this. We waited so long for Zelda in 3 As you said, this game, we did wait a while because this game was supposed to come out much sooner. This was one of those early gaming delays. And gaming delays have become sort of a norm if you're a gamer. You're used to games coming out years after they're announced. You expect a release date and it gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. But Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was that first one. And that's why that gold cartridge is so memorable because that was done as kind of a, we're sorry, we're going to make your cartridges gold if, they, if you pre-order them now. And, and, and they uh, delayed it for like a year. They did, a full year, which the N64, you know, we look back and we think of the fond games, but it was hurting for a while. It did not have, Nintendo in its history has had some years or periods of time where they don't have as much third-party or first-party support. And this was late in the N64 life cycle. This was some years after Mario 64. And it really needed Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time to be a great game. It needed it to be not only the great game, it needed it to be a console seller. It needed to get the people who were itching for Zelda for, what, I want to say five years at that point. This was, uh, was a link to the past 92 or 93. I'm not sure. But that- pe- we're talking five or six years without a Zelda game. Yeah. This is a long time. They wouldn't do it now. That's no, for sure. No, they no, well, not do was, it now. It was first shown as a technical demonstration video at Nintendo's, one of their trade shows in December yeah, of 1995. World. And it was developed uh, with Super Mario 64. It was developed together, but I think Mario 64, they really wanted to be that yeah. Right out the gates, you buy N64, you get a Super Mario 64. We've seen, too, how important it is for Nintendo to have a Zelda game and or a Mario game in the first year of its console's life. Look at the systems that have sold well, right? The Nintendo systems that have sold incredibly well, lately especially, have launched with a Zelda game. So that's kind of where Nintendo stands now. So I think if there is a, if there's a Switch Pro that comes out next year, I think it's going <laughs> to launch with a Zelda game. Just, uh, well, rec- you know, that's my... That's my uh, Nintendo's no stranger in doing that. And no. Ocarina of Time was actually one, at one time thought to be going to the disk drive. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. Be, you needed to have this upgraded disk drive, which I believe Donkey Kong 64. So the Donkey Kong 64 needed the expansion pack, the red pack that you would what? pop the old pack out of. Now the disk drive never came out in the States. So the only Ocarina of Time thing that got put on the disk drive was the Master Quest version, right. which we eventually got later on as a on Wind Waker. Yeah, yeah. Wind Waker like a uh, pre-order bonus because they delayed that game a year. But the thing with... Uh, with Ocarina of Time, I remember I loved Zelda at this point. I had played Zelda, Zelda 2, and, uh, and A Link to the Past. So, of course, I was like all about this, right? This is, this is the big one. You know, I remember for months just waiting and waiting well, and waiting. At that point, it was, you know, you get the magazines monthly. I don't know if you were that guy, but I would open up the magazine each monthly. If you got two or three pictures of a game... That was, that was a lot. It was a big deal. And if you deal. got two or three pictures, you'd, you'd keep scrolling through. Every few days, you'd come back to that page and look at those two or three pictures, see whatever little nugget of information you can grab from that shot. And these images of, of Ocarina of Time, you thought this was what you always wanted Zelda to be, fully living, breathing, 3D environment with an open hub and, and, and all these different items and upgrades. And you can see them there. In his hands, 3D. It's crazy. It was so great to see that uh, play out as well as it did. And like you, I was reading magazines and I wasn't really on the internet too much yet at this point, but everyone wanted this game. This was the game that you had to have. You owned an N64 at that point in time. 
And, you know, Eji Anuma, who is one of the directors on this game, continues what they did with A Link to the Past in the two-world style of Zelda game, where instead of it being a light world and a dark world, you have young Link and old Link, and you can see how the world changes between Link being 10 and Link being 17, which is really cool. It's a very different way it's a very different way to handle that two worlds concept that we saw with the light world and the dark world. And I love to see how, if you do things in the past, it changes in the future. And, you know, it's great to put like this time travel element on top of a Zelda game. I think it gives it a little bit more depth and it makes your, the things you do, it makes them more important. So, well, I would agree with you. I would say the depth aspect of it's similar to Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Is you have that next half of the game with an upside down castle. You know, here is Nintendo saying, we have two worlds here. We can take the same world and basically, you know, yeah, fast forward to the future and beat it up a little bit and have some of the houses burnt in half. And we have a whole different, you know, world to show the people. And it's crazy when you go through the game that you'll go to a place and the guy say, oh, that kid did something so many years ago and it screwed up the windmill. And it's like, all right, well, I guess I got to go back there as a kid and screw up the windmill. It's stuff like that, that it's just that, that, uh, and, and, and some of those characters you're talking about, Zelda has gotten this reputation, the series as a whole, of having these quirky NPC characters over the years. And I would probably say the Link to the Past is where it originated, probably more so. But yeah. here it takes it to another level, some of these quirky, weird well, people you meet in these towns. I believe it was, it was Miyamoto. It was one of the designers or the developers or, or the writers yeah, on this game. I forget which one. It might have been Onuma. They... This weirdness starts with like Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, where all these strange people live in this area and Link goes and talks to them. And it's inspired by, of all places, Twin Peaks, the, uh, the, the weird soap opera melodrama. I think it's a nice way to put it. We- <laughs> but, yeah. Like, that's a, that's it's a trippy the, show. Yeah, it's a very trippy show, but they were inspired. That's where that inspiration kind of came from. And Nintendo ran with it. Oh. With all these strange people who live in these towns because it seems normal, right? The Hyrule Town and Kakariko Village, they seem like normal villages. And then you talk to some of the people and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> no wonder why Link doesn't talk that much, you know? <laughs> that's why he's silent. That's why he's so quiet. He just doesn't have anything to say to these people, you know? The, you know, the woman who's always losing her chickens or <laughs> the, the guy with the organ grinder in the, yeah. Yeah, in the, in the lighthouse, uh, the windmill. But it's funny looking back and, you know, we, we take, I think, a lot of what it did at the time for granted. And yeah. people praise its visuals. They praise the sounds, which everyone knows the Zelda music through and through. But the, the music in each of the towns and the areas and the castles are legendary. And then you have the gameplay, which I'm sure we'll get to. But let's start my first one, the visuals. Now, really as we said, Nintendo 64 was the polygon era. When you look back now, a lot of it is rough edges. It's kind of polished-ish, <laughs> but you can see a lot of stuff that wasn't as finished. They wanted to because they had limited resources. They're working with like 64-bit. It was all limited. So here they were painting with a crayon, but they didn't really have all the crayons, all the tools to, to do it, I think, until really the GameCube to really get the, yeah. the, the, the corners and the edges and different things right. But they still made a game that was expressive. When you look at Zelda or Link or Ganon and you see their faces, you see happy, sad, which was kind of unique. Yeah, you know, it, obviously there's very little voice work in this game aside from Link yelling and some other things here or there, like a Ganon laugh or something. But the visuals are so good for this time period. You know, having a game that's a quote-unquote photorealistic, right? Zelda, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's a more realistic Zelda than we had gotten at that time. It of didn't. Course. Well, looking back at it, yeah, it looks like a cartoon now. But it gave a certain maturity to the series that it didn't have prior. The only time we ever really saw an older Link was in Zelda 2, and nobody likes that game. So <laughs> I do, and I, and I have I, I think that Ocarina of Time is Mike, actually. I'm sorry, we're gonna we're gonna edit that out. There is no Zelda 2. So <laughs> let me tell you something. And I, when we talk about gameplay, uh, Zelda 2 is gonna come up. But anywho, I think the visuals in this game are great. I think yeah. the the F- Hyrule Field looks so good. Oh. The Hyrule Town looks good. You know, as someone who was a Final Fantasy and RPG player at this time, mostly, I would have loved to have seen some more towns. Mm. I would have loved to have seen some more stuff like that. But the open, the open hub was definitely a nice 
addition to this game. Yeah, because, you know, Mario 64 did the hub thing as well, yep. and, it, and it did it very successfully. You can run around Princess Peach's castle, the outside, the inside, each of the rooms, and it's done really well. And people think it's possibly the best hub to this day in a Mario game. Yeah, it's really good. Zelda took that and said, what if we make Hyrule an open hub? And from there, you can go from up to the mountains and to, you know, up to the volcano. You can go to, you know, the, down to the water and be, meet our favorite. The Zoras? Yeah, the Zoras. And you got the great Deku trees. You got oh, all of that. So you have all the different areas to explore. And it feels open world. It does. Well, in a, in a world pre-Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah. This was really, this and Mario 64 are like the closest we got yeah. to and there really you know, some sort a lot of open of, worlds. There really wasn't a lot of loading either. I mean, you think of the PlayStation 1, which was the other console at this time, which disc, discs to this day, you got a lot of loading on discs and people went away from cartridges because of the cost and because of the limited space, but you don't really have loading. So even when you go from area to area, it's pretty quick. Yeah, well, if you play, the, the closest thing, I think, on the PlayStation to this game is Mega Man Legends. And Mega Man Legends came out about a year before this in Japan. And if you go and play Mega Man Legends, it's very similar to Ocarina of Time, actually. And that game has loading times like crazy. And it's, it does hamper your gameplay. Now, I love Mega Man Legends. I think Mega Man Legends is very important in terms of some of the mechanical things that it did. But Zelda kind of runs away with doing more more in that aspect and giving you an open worldish game that really offers you so much more freedom to traverse the world without having to be bogged down by all these low times. And the world is very vibrant. PlayStation games didn't get as vibrant. There was kind of like a subdued yeah. color palette to PlayStation the games. The art style and the palette of the Nintendo 64 games in general, but, but this game specifically, it's a lot more vibrant. The water, the sky, the grass. And even when it goes to nighttime and you're getting chased yeah. around by those skulls, you always feel the, the, the sense of, of color and light and dark. And it's all around you. And that's the visuals are huge. And you were saying before, the sounds. Now, Link himself doesn't say anything. That's something that people harp on and they say, why won't they have Link talk in one of these games? But I think his lack of, of saying anything, but his noises, the sound effects are famous in these games. Yeah. Just the little noises that, that you hear throughout the game, whether it's one of the, the chickens or a sound effect here or there, as you open a, an item like you know the slingshot or something, it becomes this epic you know, success song that plays for you and you just never get sick of it. No, you don't. And I think, at least sonically, a lot of things that happen in this game really set up Zelda for the future, sometimes to its detriment. Playing the GBA version of A Link to the Past where Link makes the hia sound, is what I'll say. Link's, hia, Link's famous <laughs> hia every time he swings a sword is a little much. But in this game, it works. It works a lot. And that has carried on. Yeah. Well, I would series. agree with you 100%. The inspiration, they took this and ran with it. And Nintendo, some people will say that Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and even Skyward Sword, they stuck too much to the, oh, who am I? I'm Link again. Oh, what do I have to do? I got to save this person. Oh, I'm going to one castle, then get an item, then another castle, get an item. And yes, they, the formula worked, so they stuck with it. And that's why Breath of the Wild gets, gets all the claim and fame for being something different. But it really works. And when Ocarina yes. hit this winning formula, it's something that every person, there's a, uh, there's a form of progression throughout the game. You get a different color tunic usually throughout the game. You gain more items that let you go to different areas. You gain more hearts. And every bit about that is it's addicting. It's, it's, it's so rewarding. Good, yeah. It's such a great thing as a gamer. It hides the elements of RPG into the game. You know what I mean? And, you know, I know there's a big argument on whether or not Zelda should be considered an RPG or an action-adventure game. I don't really want to get into that right now because I would have to sit here and, and really think about it, and I don't want to. I mean, it doesn't um, have leveling up and this and that. No, it I agree. We don't need to get into that. No, we don't, we don't need to get into that. That's actually a, a conversation. That's a topic for a conversation. Oh, also, totally. Because you can make totally. an argument either way. But the gameplay, I would say, is, is strictly, this is an action-adventure game. I would say that, yeah. And I think something you were alluding to before is the targeting system in this game. Yes. So let's talk <laughs> about targeting, people. This game gets credit for being one of the first games to have targeting. And it works really well for an N64 game. It works incredibly well. I mean, I think the targeting in this game definitely inspired 
pretty much told 3D, anyone making a 3D game, hey guys, if you're doing a 3D action game, you need to be able to isolate and target. And if you play a game, and there's been games after this without it, it's very frustrating when you want to attack a certain enemy and it misses or it just doesn't connect the way you want it to. Not to Uh, rag on our friend Sonic again. (laughs) Even certain games that have targeting in them, it doesn't work well. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pat my friend Mega Man Legends on the back again, because Mega Man Legends is the first game that I ever played that had some sort of targeting system to it. Now, that being said, that game did come out a year before Ocarina of Time, but I don't think Ocarina of Time was like, oh, Mega Man's doing it right. We're going to steal that. It was I think probably they were years in development. So it is possible that they, they added that at the end. Yes, it's possible. No, I don't think so. I think I doubt these, it. These games were definitely developed but they did at the same la- time. It did launch prior to, so you have to give it some credit for being give, first to do it. You got you to give Mega Man Legends the credit where it's due. That what? being said, Zelda does it better. <laughs> that being said, Zelda does, it, does do it a little better. Mega Man Legends 2 actually gets the targeting down a little bit better. Uh, not better than Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time with the Z targeting is great. And that carries on, obviously, to Majora's Mask and pretty much all the Zelda games in 3D from here on out. But what about the gameplay about Zelda uh, in Ocarina of Time? And this is where I usually draw some degree of, of ire from people. I think Zelda, Zelda Ocarina of Time owes a lot to Zelda 2. And I'll tell you why. Zelda, the original Zelda game, was very much about, it was obviously it's a top-down game. Combat was important, but combat wasn't the aspect of the game, the main aspect of that game. That game was more about exploration and finding things and, and figuring secrets out and finding all these different places to get the Triforce. Zelda 2 takes that, that, that mentality and kind of flips it on its head. And it's like, oh, no, really? no, no, no. We're going to make a game that has some exploration to it, but the most, most of the game that you're playing is going to be 2D action combat segments, obviously with RPG elements, Now, Ocarina of Time, because of the targeting system and because of the way Link operates, exploration is still important, but there's such an emphasis on combat and there's such an emphasis on really focusing in on your enemy and and, and fighting, which makes it so good. Now, I'm not saying that Zelda 2 is better than Ocarina of Time because it's not. I would put you in the same asylum. No, it's not. I I have a soft spot in my heart. I do see your point and I do agree that when you think of Ocarina of Time, I do not think about a game that heavily encourages exploration. And it's actually, for an open world game, it's very linear. Mm-hmm. You're going from the next point to the next point to the next point, And there's very little to do. Yes, there's side quests, there's things here and there. But it's really, you're sticking to what they want you to do. And it's all about the action. So I would say it leads more heavily in what they discovered in the second game. But I think the first game, it still draws the, the lore, the character, the story, the items, the the armor, everything essentially you remember about Zelda is yeah. from the first. Oh, absolutely. And, but that's why I would go to say that Breath of the Wild is more similar to the original Zelda than pretty much oh, any absolutely. of the other ones. I love that you get out there and I can go anywhere, anywhere. I want. Just go anywhere. Just get lost. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. We're cool. You know, it's, it's, it really takes that. That's why when people are like, oh, Breath of the Wild isn't a Zelda game because it doesn't have the dungeons. It's like, guys, like, one, let the company try something new, please. Sure. Like, I've, I've played the original Legend of Zelda game out of order several times just to see how much trouble I can get in. You know, can I mess up the game? Can I try to go to this world before that world? How far can I get? And it's fun how much oh, it's great. You know, trouble you can get into. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. That's just the beauty of it, right? Because Zelda really did feel like it was like this expansive world. And it really didn't get back there until... A Breath of the Wild with that, with that, hey, just go out, you know, well, you, yeah, we'll give you like, Breath of the Wild, hold your hand for like five minutes, and then it's just like, yeah, go, go see what's out there. Ocarina of Time, I love it to death. Link to the Past is probably my favorite Zelda game. You know, Majora's Mask, yeah, Twilight Princess. love and hate uh, Majora's Mask. I would I, say... They're, they're very similar. Yeah, controversially, very similarly. I would say Ocarina of Time is probably known as one of the greatest video games and one of the greatest, maybe probably the greatest known as one of the best Zeldas, if not the best. For me, I like what other games have done since then better. And Mm. it's not one of my personal favorites, but I have to honor and acknowledge what it did first. I think that Ocarina of Time, because it's an entry point for so many people, they're going to see it as the best and their favorite. And that's perfectly valid. It's a wonderful game. It's massively important. It's massively to successful too. It was 
It sold yeah. more than 7 million copies worldwide. And in 1998, that is a big deal. Yeah, you did that not have the install deal. base that you have today. And this game had the largest pre-order ever, which pre-orders weren't always a big thing, but this was the largest ever. The last game we talked about, Symphony of the Night, sold about 700,000 copies. So we're, we're talking about 10%. two different levels altogether. And that game was successful. This game is all-time successful. Hit. Well, you got to think, this is like the first game I remember really having to pre-order. So I think that kind of started that whole trend of where you had to like, you had to pre-order games, people, unless, you know, you're an RPG nerd and then you wanted to get like all the special box stuff and all like the, any special items. But at this point in time, I remember this is one of the first games I remember like actively going to pre-order. Like I remember even walking in and buying Pokemon in KB, <laughs> like without a problem. Yeah. earlier that year you, so or you took one of those white slips off the wall and yeah the behind the counter went to the guy behind the counter in toys yeah, r us and they gave it to me this game i did not originally own at launch my one of my close friends had it and i played it once in his house i don't think i gave him back the controller and i went out and got this <laughs> i think i nagged my parents for a good whole week or month before i had this game in my house so this was one of those times in my life where i knew i was going to get it <laughs> because it was like the only thing on my Christmas list. <laughs> so I said to my parents, I was like, listen, I'm happy with anything you get me. You guys are great. But if you, want me, if you get me one or two things, please, oh, please, get me Zelda Ocarina of Time, the gold cartridge, which I got, and the strategy guide to go along with it. <laughs> and my parents were so cool. The strategy that, guides are great. The, yeah, oh, perfect. They were great at this like point. This. The water temple's impossible without No, it. I actually still to this day play the water temple with the guide because I don't want to deal with it. It's, yeah, so, so let's, let's hit on a couple of those things. So a couple of pin points we want to make about this game. First off, the discovery about Sheik was oh, a so great plot twist. No one saw it coming at the time. No one, and unless you had the strategy guide and looked ahead, no, yeah. no this one saw it. This was like a Final Fantasy VII type twist. Yes, that, you know, yes. That I was going to say, say that. Anything. The dreaded water temple was something that everyone, I don't care who you are, you got stuck, you raised and lowered the level, the, the water level, and you found a guide, darn it. <laughs> anyone, anyone watches any of my streams, I haven't streamed in a while, I've been lazy, but if anyone ever watches any of my video game streams, I talk at length pretty much in any video game how much i hate water stages <laughs> and this is part of it this is part of the reason why i played the water temple there's nothing worse than doing the water temple in in, in not in the perfect sequence and then having to figure out which floor you miss something on <laughs> and then having to raise and lower and raise and lower. it was just tedious it was it was such tedium and even in majora's mask the water stage is also terrible awful they just they just want to they just want to drown you in garbage i believe and, twilight princess also had a water temple that i don't think was as painful but no. it still has some frustrating elements to just it. i don't know why just just stop it with the water people the other memorable <laughs> moment of course is is playing the different music on the ocarina oh Gosh, yeah. Which was just ingenious. These different tunes that you memorized most of them because, you know, you played them a lot throughout the game. But they, they, not only were they catchy, but they, they sounded really good. Sounded great. The sound work on it was great. And as a musician, and at that time, you know, I'm still a musician now, and I was definitely a very dedicated musician even when I was 12. I would sit there with the ocarina and mess with it and, and bend pitches and figure out how to make things flat or sharp or do all this stuff. So I was learning how to play like all these crazy songs in game and That's cool. just having a blast with it. And people do it online now too, but it didn't get better until once they, once you got Majora's Mask and the Zora guy had a guitar, then I'm like, oh, cool, rock and roll. But it was so cool to have this. And I love it. I love that Zelda to this day has this kind of musical undertone to it like every game has like this this love letter to music and it's just like yeah you're gonna get an instrument in this game and like yeah sure link can play it why not and one of them he conducts the wind it's crazy <laughs> i love it there's always it's almost musical, and now they use these full orchestras to make the music it's really it's unbelievable oh my gosh it's so I'm, good a life and, goal of mine is still to go one of those concerts and uh, and hear the whole music played out in front of me i've never been to a zelda concert or a Nintendo concert. I've been to two Final Fantasy concerts and both of them were 
unbelievably yeah. good. I've heard these. They got usually a big projector screen going. They yep. got all the games, you know, from the whole crazy history because no one knows what game was first, second, or third in the story because the Zelda storyline is right. the most confusing. Let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you about the Zelda storyline right now. I don't think there was one. <laughs> I don't think there was one at the time. A lot of retconning. Yeah, I think that, I think that the fans were trying to put, to get, put it together for so long that – Eventually, Nintendo was like, "Why can't they just be their own thing?" And they're all awesome, and I don't really care. Each game's a fairy tale, right? Mario has an ongoing story. Come on, no, (laughs) no. Except unless you watch the Super Show, maybe. Oh boy. But yeah, that being said, no, you know what? We, I don't need the Zelda timeline. I'm happy that Nintendo did it for the fans that really needed it. But But for me, it's like every game's different. Perspective did things that were also unprecedented at its time. Yeah, and at the time, it was the first in the, in the timeline, right? Yeah, but you, know, you open it up, and it's like the dream, isn't it, basically, where he's yeah. got the castle bridge is coming down, and yeah. you see you know, Gandor for the first time on the horse, and you, I think you see that a couple times throughout the, throughout the game, but yeah. it's, it sets up this story like nothing else before. Also, it had a day-night cycle, which was really cool. And that great story, you get that little little um, bits and pieces early in the game. And Ganon, Ganon wasn't a big blue pig yet. So it's, it's, it's very cool. And I'm, I'm a sucker for big blue pig Ganon. I love pig yeah. Ganon. Now, I'm, cool I'm not anti-fairy here, but Navi got a little annoying sometimes. And uh, yeah. every once in a while, hey, hey. <laughs> I, you know, I've had some friends over time that, has ha- that have had that as like their um, text message. Yup. And I've wanted to throw phones in garbage disposals. <laughs> so that being said, you know, I understand why Navi's in the game. I understand why you have that. Yes, understandably. But, yep. And, and I like how they've handled Link's fairy companion. Like, Link is Peter Pan, right? Totally. Link is very much Peter Pan in all the best ways. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, of course, Peter Pan has to have, you know, his fairy companion in Tinkerbell. But I love how they did it in... Ocarina, uh, not Ocarina of Time, in uh, Twilight Princess, where it's just your pointer. Yeah. You know, that Very works. Ways. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that too. That's a really nice design, design decision. But what they did differently here, is, I think, is the way the camera is being used in this game is very different than what like, you expect from like Super Mario 64. With that game, you control the camera, which was revolutionary for its time, but yeah. some people say it's a little clunky. I still love that camera. I think it works. If you know how to handle it, it works it does. well. It does. This game with, yeah, Navi buzzing around, but the, the camera kind of does its own thing. It kind of guides you as you move around. It's a real, they've really evolved the camera since Mario 64 where you don't have to think about it too much. No, it kind of has like establishing shots and it follows you when it needs to. It zooms out when it needs to. It's very, it's very reactive. So that's also very, very important. And not having, you don't have to waste space on your controller because you don't have two analog sticks. You don't have to waste space on your controller for, for camera controls. So that's great. So you use the C buttons for your items, which was great. And that whole item mapping oh right? boy because, what followed the yeah, series forever those little yellow buttons at the top and you get to yep. put in there what you need and you know it'd be nice if super metroid had that but <laughs> yeah tell me anyway about ocarina of time you played a lot of different ways to this day uh, as you said if you pre-ordered i believe it was wind waker back on the gamecube you got the ocarina of time on the uh, zelda collection legend of zelda collection this game was released on the wii virtual console the wii u virtual console and then you have the re-release the 3ds port which i actually barred my friends at the time because i didn't have it and played through it and they did some really nice things yeah, it, they, they really polished the, the models, some certain things. Now, I still love playing a game like that on a big screen because it just seems like this big epic. Um, I think that if Nintendo was to ever re-release this game, I think it would do them well to release this, that version of the game, you know, a more cleaned up version. Yeah, I think, I think that they'd have the, to up the resolution a bit because I think those yeah. 3DS yeah. screens were very low poly. But yeah, I, I, this game, if you can get your hands on it, if you have not played The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, there are some things that have not aged well. I think the graphics, like we said, were, were at that time, you didn't think they looked bad. No. They looked photorealistic and everything you dreamed that the Zelda they world looked, perfect. looked like. Yeah, the, the Gorons look like Gorons, you know? <laughs> hey, yeah, that's the first game they were in it, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, amazing. Uh, it's amazing to see how much this game has influenced not only... The whole, the whole, the whole Hyrulean series. world, yeah. It's influenced that world, but it's also influenced pretty much most of your 3D action games. Everything from Devil May Cry to Okami were heavy, heavy, heavily influenced by Ocarina of Time. And it's kind of made the 3D action game really work really nicely. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, this game has inspired and I would say games like, and, and I might get some pushback on this, but I would say games like the Witcher yeah. might not yeah. exist if not for a game like Ocarina of Time. These, some of these Western RPGs that don't rely so much on leveling up and, and some of the, the nitty gritty, like the RPG type systems, the, the Westerns, I think they take a lot from Ocarina of Time because this do. doesn't go too hard into RPG. And you know what? It's, it's, you know, creativity, I always say it's, it's, it's a big soup that everyone's throwing stuff into and, you know, they're working from the same stuff. So, of course, anyone who's making a 3D action game is going to at least think of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can rattle sense. off a bunch. I know Darksiders yeah. was one that says a Zelda-like. Yes. Very much. Puzzle elements there. Even areas of God of War. I've been Definitely. playing the most recent one and you go into certain areas and you're trying to figure how to get a chain to come down and push yeah. this over and pull that and throw this. And you're like, well, I did this in Zelda when I shot my arrow and threw the fire out and did this. So it works. It works. Yeah. So I, I love inspiration. You know, if, if, yeah. if Zelda Ocarina of Time can inspire other developers to make great games, why not? I think ultimately to one of the best games that is inspired by Ocarina of Time is uh, Okami on the PS2 and it's been re-released on pretty much every console since then because it's so good. Yep. If you if you really like Ocarina of Time and you want to play that style of game as a big wolf, definitely check that out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okami it was game of the year in a lot of places the year it came I'm, out and it's been now ported to five or six different consoles. It's easy to find. If you, have a, if you have a modern console or a PC, you can play it and it's worth it. It's beautiful. It still looks great. And Okami is... One of my favorite Zelda games. I have to if, keep going through it. I actually didn't go all the way through. So I need to, oh. That's one of those games I dropped off because something else distracted me. No, that, that, that happens. I totally <laughs> get it. But I feel like Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time can be talked about for hours among hours. Mm -hmm. It is, in still is to believe to this day, the highest rated game on Metacritic, which is yeah. often considered the, you know, the biggest review aggregator website, you know, pulls together all the reviews. This game gets 10 out of 10s everywhere. Everywhere. It's everyone's favorite game. When you talk to people, as far as Zelda's, a lot of times it's their favorite. And again, it's really, it's really hard to argue this one. No, it is. It, it, it is very hard to argue this one. This one should be on pretty much every top 10 or top 15 list of all time. It's so good. I can't argue with anyone who says that it's their favorite game. I think they're, they're fine. This is fine. This is fine to say it's your favorite game. <laughs> well, in closing thoughts, I would say the, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time has the music. It's got great gameplay. It's got mm -hmm. visuals. It mm -hmm. has story. Yep. It has a great villain. It's got Everything. the protagonist that you wanted to see grow up and you get to watch him grow up. In you the get game. to literally watch him grow up. It's great. You got the master sword. I mean, you have everything that you love about video games and this game does it great. Mike, anything else? I think you really, really nailed it here. And I just think that it's a, it's as close to perfect as you're going to get. Uh, I don't like to throw the, the word perfect around because I don't think perfect is, exists, but Ocarina of Time is very close. It is an absolute masterpiece even I like the as word masterpiece. Masterpiece, I yeah. I feel like you can describe a painting and people yep. can be objective, but this game, even with its flaws, is masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterful representation of everything it was trying to achieve. And it was a huge, huge lift for Nintendo and the 64. Yep. And I don't think we have Nintendo as it is today, if not for this game. We certainly don't have Zelda as it is today without this game. So I think that so I honestly I don't think video games are the same. No. Without this. I think if you want to go if you want to talk about the top 10 influ most influential games of all time, this is on the list right with uh, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario 64, this Grand Theft Auto 3. Like these are some of the most influential games ever made and it was even a collectathon because if you tried to get oh yeah what the skeletons whatever they're yeah the skatellas yeah forget that tried to get all those this game is definitely a collectathon i'm having flashbacks man no thanks i those mummies actually were the the no thanks for me those no thank you i would like i would very much not like to see those again thank you very much the mummies or the redeads the zombies like this game had some scares in it yeah it totally yeah. did as a kid this definitely had the creeps in it too it would scream at you <laughs> but mike i want to thank you for thank you, talking man. about two great games today anything you want to jump into as far as what you're playing lately 
Uh, you know, I'm still where I was last time. I'm making my way through No More Heroes. Uh, I've played a little bit of Nero Automata, just to get, or Automata, or I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, I've been playing a little bit of that, but I'm really jazzed for Yakuza 7, which uh, I'm going to jump into this week. So Yeah, I feel like go. certain games, you when they come out, you put aside anything else yeah. you're playing and you jump right in. Exactly. Um, I have been playing a little bit of God of War PS4. I'm just catching up to that a couple of years. It's good. It's good. Very cinematic, very plot heavy, but smooth gameplay experience and really it's enjoying a- that. And then my son likes to uh, force me to play new Super Mario Brothers Deluxe for hours on end. You, so, you, could, do, you could do far worse. I That's actually far a pretty worse. game. I'm, yeah. I'm actually gaining a lot more respect for this game. I think I, the first time I played through it, I said, eh, it's more of the same, but this game does a lot of good stuff for, for platform lovers. It's, it's a it's, polished game. It's very, very good uh, in terms of the... Of the new Super Mario games, I think it's the best. It does a lot of stuff that Super Mario World does. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the Star best? Star Road and all that. Yeah, all that jazz. Uh, I've com- I completed that game 100%. It's one of the few that I've done. And it's really great, and I love it. I think Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is also okay. right up there with that one. It's, there but, are different difficulty levels, and I think there's yeah. a different flow to the games, but they're yeah. both very good platforms that I think are underrated by most I think so. gamers and modern gamers especially. But yeah, yeah. I think we could do far, I think I could do far, far worse than being far, far to worse than playing Brothers Deluxe. Far worse than, far, you could do far worse than being forced to play We're talking about the 64 era. You go back to Superman 64, and that's about as homeworky and glitchy as they come. <laughs> no, thank you. I've had my time with it, and I actually played it again recently, and no thanks again. Oh, boy. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining me again today. Well, thank uh, you, Matt. Uh, like to plug anything? Yeah, you know, normal stuff. I'm always going to plug my band, Bad Mary. You can follow us on anything. Just look out Bad Mary Band. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on all that stuff. My wife and I are in this rock and roll band. We have five, five releases that we put out there. Um, and on top of that, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Mike underscore Staub and on Instagram at the underscore Mike underscore Staub and at twitch.tv slash the Mike Staub, all one word. Uh, I have to get back to streaming. I've been lazy. I get it. Life gets in the way, but that's perfect. Uh, we are planning on having our Instagram page and all that social media go live with us shortly. So stay tuned for that. We are, we are very excited to continue to explore the hall of fame of video games. And we hope you guys tune in each week as we sometimes talk and talk too much about some games that we absolutely love. Mike, thanks again. Thanks again, man. Enjoy. Thank you.